0: welcome to the good bottle podcast join chris and drew two self-proclaimed booze pundits with a lifetime of industry experience as they walk you through the alcohol business and how today's headlines affect the industry Each week, you guys will be joined by a special guest that will help them break down these stories and offer their own expertise to the podcast. So, pour yourself a glass of your favorite drink and sit back. This is the Good Bottle Podcast. What to do, what to do,
1: what to do. Welcome to the Good Bottle Podcast. I am your host, Chris Sinclair, joined by my co-host, the ever-loving, very red-shirted man, Mr. Drew Garrison.
2: Hi, guy. How you doing? Hi. Just for the record, there's a cat on this shirt. And it says Miawaka, So I don't want anyone to think I'm wearing like a red shirt. That's patriotic for a, someone that I don't support. But I'm definitely down for I'm
1: glad that you clarified that
2: an American positive cat shirt is is what I'm doing. Yeah, that's what I'm wearing. And you're cat. wearing one of our cool shirts off of our Etsy shop, the 100% celebrity agave free. I that's love right, that. Baby. My God, it looks it's so very good. Comfy. On
1: you. it's a very comfy shirt.
2: Well, it's one of the three quarter T baseball shirts. Yeah, which God, I love that style of shirt. I'm and right it comes there in all kinds man. of different colors. It's so great. We should sell I've more of them. Go to our few... web. go to Etsy,
1: buy this, buy the shirt, buy the shirt. It's buy comfy. Shirt. You can you can lounge around and be uh, chill like me.
2: Yeah. Or you can go to a prominent bourbon lunch. While wearing it, and really get the point across to everybody there. That's which right. is also what you did
1: today. I did, I did. I don't think that most people at that lunch cared about the fact that I was wearing this shirt, but you know, it's fine. We get, but we they get knew, a where you stood. Who knew That's right. I I planted <laughs> my flag in the sand, motherfuckers. And there it is. They were like, like this guy,
2: he's got opinions, and he's willing to wear them on his shirt.
1: <laughs> I don't think anybody at that lunch also thought that I was not the guy with opinions.
2: That's true. It was one of those like, hey, big supplier, everybody come and drink on us for way, you know, way too long and way too much money and blah, 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 blah. (laughs) Don't be jealous. I'm very jealous. I used to invite invited all the time, but not not anymore. Not anymore. Not anymore. Uh, Too much too competitive for them. So well, the other person that was at that lunch today is actually a guest tonight, and I'm very excited to have this person on because the first time that I met him, I knew that we were these kindred spirits because we were talking about the most bizarre spirits throughout the world. And then on top of that, he used to manage a bar that is probably the geekiest bar in the United States and hosted amazing podcasts that I absolutely love to this day. And just... There were so many things I just was kind of like I was like I was like oh my god how do I make this guy my best friend like what do I need to do to continue to do it and fortunately like he continued to talk to me and our relationship grew and and then he started listening to the podcast which I was like that's great where did you start he said at the beginning I was like that's a terrible place to start don't don't listen to the first couple seasons of this podcast it's so awful and then I fast forwarded him to season three where I think we started to take it a little bit more serious and then he does have. You know a, a digital or I'm trying to think, he'll explain this further, but it's like he has experience in this realm and and for our our former guests who also have that kind of experience in terms of like editing sound and things like that. There's a lot of things that we do that really drives people nuts, and so I respect the hell out of him for continuing to be like you know what I listened to it, I had my issues, and I'm still willing to come on and talk to you guys. So that just shows you how great how great this guy is. Our guest tonight is the program director and manager for Bottle and Barlow here in Sacramento, one of our favorite bars. And his name is Kyle Ryu. Kyle, welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule and talking weird spirits and and all of that stuff. So speaking of weird spirits, what are you drinking? And tell us a little bit about about you and, and what brought you to Sacramento.
0: Um. You know, I wish I had a, a weirder spirit to, to be drinking, but instead it's just incredibly on brand for me. Um, I was gifted this bottle. It's a, it's a limited edition uh, Highland Park series that they did uh, earlier in the year. Um, they started it over the pandemic and it was going to be like a, a three-part release. There was a uh, Volkna, Valkyrie, and Valfather. And I was gifted uh, a bottle of the Valfather, which is the, the spirit to honor Odin. And... Highland Park is not like a super heavily peated uh, scotch by any means, but this is the most heavily peated that they've ever done, which is still not super heavily peated. But it's a it's a really cool sipper and like the artwork on the boxes are just absolutely gorgeous. They teamed up with this um, Danish uh, descendant of the Vikings who lives in a castle in Denmark and he designed all of the bottles and it's just an absolute collector's item. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to actually break that out tonight. Oh, that's awesome. Well, it's not super weird. It is super special to me.
2: I love it. I love the um, the move that Highland Park did with that stuff. So I actually have a bottle of the Valkyrie that came out, you know, long, long time ago. And I've been nursing that one for a while. And I know it's getting towards the end, but I love anything Viking related. And it was a really great excuse for Highland Park to move away from age statements and just Mm -hmm. do cool stuff. Which I think is, which I think is super rad. I I love Highland Park. It's one of my all time favorite brands. And to your point, like they have a little bit of Highland peat on there, but it's not anything that most people can't handle. Like it's really, really nice and complimentary.
0: I just love that their whole like claim to fame is that uh, they're the closest distillery in Scotland to Scandinavia, even though they're only about three hundred meters north of their neighbors. They're like, no, 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 we are the northernmost distillery in all of Scotland. So, uh, right. we're Vikings. <laughs> <laughs>
2: oh, it's, it's the best. Okay. So now you moved to Sacramento during the pandemic. You were, you were down in LA. You were managing the scum and villainy bar in Los Angeles.
0: Correct. Right? Um, I was the program director, uh, bar manager for scum and villainy cantina, uh, your friendly neighborhood geek bar, um.
1: It's hands down one of my favorite names for a bar next to like maybe like pouring ribbons or something like that. Like it's just it's such a fantastic name for a bar.
0: It's 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 definitely up there. Uh, You should wait to hear what the sister bar uh, we're going to open in the next couple of years is going to be called um, because that's going to be a Star Wars themed uh, Tiki bar (laughs) called Kashiki Tiki after Chewbacca's home planet. (laughs) That's
2: I love that so much. And so that was (laughs) That was a place, like, when you brought it up to me, I was like, oh, that's where Kevin Smith does a lot of his podcasts from. And he was like, and you're like, yeah, uh, yeah, you, you're right. That That is where it's from, because I'm, you know, that's really the guy who got me into podcasts, was listening to his entire catalog, and, like, Fat Man on Batman
0: and and things like that. I, I well, love Kevin that, Smith. That uh, Fat Man Beyond, ever since, well, he fat, lost all, ever since he lost all the weight.
2: Yeah, yeah, the, well, he brought in, um... And it, it admittedly, it's been it's been a while because like he he totally got away from his format. So when Fat Man on Batman started each week, he would bring in somebody from the Batman universe. So mm-hmm. like, for example, uh, Brave and Bold had Dietrich Bader as the voice of Batman. If for those who don't know, like that was the goofy guy on the Drew Carey show, Dietrich Bader. He'd done a lot of different stuff. He's also the guy who doesn't you know, want to get roundhouse kicked with a guy wearing, you know, his uh, American flag pants from Napoleon dynamite. And so it was like one of the best interviews ever, because at the time that was a series that wasn't necessarily as glorified as some of the other Batman iterations. And then it was just like that every single week. I mean, had just people who had contributed like Paul Dini even had Adam West at one point, Burt Ward and the list went on and on and on. And then it changed into kind of like a pop culture reference show. And then, And then I lost a little bit of of uh, interest in it. But it was still it was still great. And sometimes I go back to those old episodes and it was fun. But but you got to be around the guy like you got to see him record and stuff like that. And then you also got to create drink programs that were fully involved into the geek world. So like what was that like? And I mean, have you been able to duplicate any of that at Bottle and Barlow now in Sacramento?
0: Um, I haven't truly been able to dip into the geek world at uh bottle however we do have a new menu drop in two weeks and i put my foot down and i was like no i'm making this aquavit cocktail and i'm absolutely calling it val hallelujah um <laughs> but like that's as far into like geekdom as i've really been able to go with bottle because like with it's a punk bar like they're just like all right all right you 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 like nerd shit that's fine that's cool but like don't change our aesthetic which i totally respect Um. So with uh, Scum and Villainy, it was kind of like, do whatever you want, use whatever you want. There's no costing here at all because we have (laughs) our clientele by the short and curlies. So you can charge $23 a drink and they will not bat an eye. This is Hollywood Boulevard. It doesn't matter. Uh, So my margins would range from like acceptable to just like hand over fist pulling in money um for like just super gimmicky stuff that people would love like we had a drink with uh cotton candy on top and it was essentially just like blue curacao and some shit but because it had (laughs) like glow sticks (laughs) bent into the shapes of halos and then pop rocks dumped over that people would drop 18 bucks on it and we sold we crushed with it it was and it was 'Cause people would be like, Oh, it's an asteroid field. Don't ever tell me the odds. That's a line from the movie. I love it. Here's my money. And yeah. it was just it, it was great because like they didn't care. And you know, travel.com called us the number one pop culture bar in the world. People would travel from all across the country and like you'd be like, Oh yeah, welcome to Hollywood. They're like, No, no, no. I came here to go to this bar. I just happened to be in LA at the same time. And like that's that's absolutely insane. We have like Disney and Universal. There's a lot of stuff to do here. Like, no, we came here for this bar. Is Kevin here?
2: that's amazing so then now what brought you up to sacramento um
0: i don't know if you guys know but um things changed in 2020 Uh, a lot (laughs) a lot of stuff closed down (laughs) a lot of a lot of a lot of careers uh were misdirected um my girlfriend is from sac originally and though she had been in la for 13 years and we had been together um we had a chance to get out of the city in a time where I I had absolutely no concept of if our bar was ever going to open again. Cause I, I had no plans of ever leaving, you know, pre pandemic. I, I loved what I did, but we also had a chance to buy a house uh here in town where my mortgage would have been a hundred bucks more split between the two of us. So 50 bucks more than my LA rent. And I'm dude, I'm a millennial. I'm never going to fucking own a home otherwise. So it's like, yeah, absolutely. You're going to give me like three bedrooms, a garage, a pool, a spa, a yard for the dog for 50 bucks more. I can run a bar anywhere. It doesn't have to be as cool as my old bar. Fortunately, I lucked into a place that is still pretty, pretty damn cool.
2: Yeah, no, that's that's amazing. And, you know, I, I feel for you because it's like it sucks that that was a really cool Project that was a really cool thing you got to work on, but like, but now we get to be friends. So exactly. I feel like you come out ahead here. I it,
0: feel it's like kind of, it, it's kind of a net win because we—I uh I was so siloed in Hollywood. We didn't need anybody. I didn't need anything from reps. They had nothing for me. I didn't need any fucking pay to play. I—I needed nothing. I—it was guaranteed clientele all the time. But it really made me a worse networker because I—I I didn't have to play with anybody. So now I'm up here and I'm like really trying to, you know establish friendships and networks now.
2: Yeah. So why don't we talk a little bit about that? Because that's interesting. And and we've talked about pay to play on this podcast before. And essentially what it means is these companies are going to come in and they're going to support you in a variety of ways. It could be through product, credit card swipes, you know, swag, whatever the case may be. Um. So with that, like, what is that transition been like? What's it? I mean, to develop those types of relationships. I mean, how do you keep it fair and balanced? Because like you know, like you've ran a bar where you didn't need any of those things. Like, do you feel like it's a lot more essential in a place that's not a destination?
0: Yeah, I I think it absolutely is. Like, in a place where, you know, Sacramento's phenomenal for not really having competition between bars. Like, it's a community where. I genuinely want all my neighbors to succeed, but at the same time, you know there's only so many people who are going out on a Tuesday, and what can I do to make sure that I'm at least one of the places they choose and what I have in in my rail, what I have in my back bar, what they actually want to drink it has to I have to give people what they want and meet them in the middle and you know you can make relationships and talk people into cool shit all the time, but not all the time. (laughs) Yeah. And if people want stuff, it's got to it's got to land in a spot where the owners are still happy with their margins. And so what you're
2: so what you're telling me is that you don't have the same carte blanche to be like twenty three dollar, you know, asteroid field cocktail anymore.
0: No, I've got a ceiling. I know that here in town, (laughs) I'm not going to get away with selling a cocktail for more than twelve bucks. I just won't not when they could just as easily get a 2 dollar tacate because mm-hmm. at the end of the day they're they're still going to get just as drunk and they're still going to take their be be able to take their instagram photos and meet up with their friends so it's 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 a delicate dance of how cool can i make this without making it cost more than 12 bucks in the end because that's my ceiling that's where people start to reel back and i see it on their faces a 13 dollar mm-hmm. drink isn't going to sell but a 12 dollar drink is
2: that's really that's really interesting. Chris, what was I mean, I, I know that at this point you've been out of the game for, for a minute. First, why don't you tell us what you're drinking and then you know, what was it like in your last bar position and you know, was that kind of the same, different of all, was, out what, of the
1: game? Come on, dog. Like, <laughs> damn.
2: What was a the damn, last time son? you were? Damn. When was the last time you got a paycheck from being behind the stick?
1: Like three years. Yeah. That doesn't mean that. I'm out of the out game. That doesn't game. mean I don't out know what game. I'm <laughs> It's a different cocktail. Uh, I'm, I'm drinking I'm drinking Rocket <laughs> Queen uh canned cocktail by LiveWire. Uh uh also coming out of LA. Uh this specific cocktail uh was created by uh Aaron Hayes, formerly of Westward Whiskey, uh and uh, from LA. And this is probably my I think this is my favorite cocktail from LiveWire. Uh canned cocktails. It's just it's just lovely. It's a uh, uh, with Casa Magdalena rum, Magdalena, Magdalena, Ooh. Casa Magdalena uh, from House Spirits, uh, mm-hmm. a little pomelo, a little cinnamon, uh, pandan, and uh, other natural flavors, and which would normally irritate me, except that this is really delicious. So I'm like, I'm just I'm <laughs> fine with it. It doesn't matter what it is. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drink it anyway.
0: Now, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, I, I think I've seen those cans available at, uh, at Good Bottle. Uh, you would back, be correct, back sir. Shelf.
1: That's that's uh, <laughs> you are
2: darn Skippy. We're just plugging all kinds of things on this episode. I love it. Yes, no, we're just we, setting
0: them up, knocking
1: them down. Pew 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 pew. <laughs> if, if our listeners get lost,
0: they're, they're in the back, over by the bitters.
1: <laughs> that's right. They're right go. next to the bitters. Yeah, there you
2: go. Mm. Okay, Chris. So so tell us. You know what was your what was your experience like when you were behind behind the bar? Like, do you think that's something? That's kind of always been the Sacramento deal. It's like you just have a ceiling and then you you're not gonna it's it's just really difficult to break through.
1: I don't know. I, I um I think there's a a level of uh trust earning that you have to do. Um mm. you know, and but the ceiling exists almost everywhere. I mean you can you can go, there's only a handful of places that you can really count um that you can show up to and they'll have X, Y, Z cocktail for, you know, 20, 20 bucks and up, right? Um, if you take out New York, Chicago, and San Francisco, LA, right? Like, you can go most other places on the planet. You can't go to and get get cocktails that, that are going to cost that much. Um, I don't know. Uh, you know, when we opened up Red Rabbit, we our cocktail menu was seven dollars that was 2012 uh and that was here in sacramento for cocktails at that point in time when i had just left oakland we were charging 12 13 for those exact same cocktails uh, made with very much the same booze you know um and and that was deliberate it was we were undercutting the market you know shady lady at that point in time was charging 9 10 for their cocktails. Um Uh, one of our favorite punching bags on this show, Mr. Brad Peters, uh, he was right down the street from me at, um, at Centro, uh, restaurant on the, on the corner of, uh, of J Street there that shared the block with Red Rabbit. And, uh, he was charging nine, $10 for his cocktails, for his margaritas. You know, some of them were 11 bucks. Um, and pretty much when we, when we opened and we did that, the whole, the whole industry here in Sacramento kind of had to like, had to had to shift a little bit. A lot of people dropped their prices. We were the new kids on the block. There weren't a lot. There weren't so many cocktail bars, and and um, we definitely had a little bit of that honeymoon period where people were just infatuated with us. I mean, shit, that's when I met my wife, so it was great. Um, uh, somehow that infatuation just like carried over. So, love you, honey. <laughs> uh, but you know, then over the course of time we slowly upped our prices and you know we for the course of doing like monday rum days uh doing special events um you know we even had like baller menus out there where we would you know we would we would charge like 20 something dollars for for some cocktails at, at that point in time but that was after years you know 2 3 years of really grinding and really getting people to trust us and you know getting people to come in and even though they were sitting in this cocktail bar and they order three or four vodka sodas, you know, on that on that third one. I'd be like, no, I'm not I'm not going to give this to you. And they'd be like, i sorry. What you're telling me? No, I can't have it. I'm like, yeah, man, like you're in a steakhouse and you're ordering grilled cheese, like figure it out. Read the room uh, and do like, OK, well, <laughs> I don't know. What do we do? Uh, you know, and that's when you open up that conversation for guiding them through that experience. But it, it really takes a lot of trust to get people there. Uh, you know, it's not as simple as like, let's just throw something on a cocktail menu. Like it's, you know, at least, at least in my, in my experience, you know, I don't have any experience in LA, you know, I have experience in the Bay, um, but even, even East Bay, when I was really getting into doing, you know, at that point in time, pre prohibition style cocktails before it even was known as craft cocktails, um, you know, people were still Kind of timid. They were they were curious. They wanted to go there, but they didn't. They need to. They need to be like shown the door and led through it.
2: Well, let me let me turn this back to you, Kyle, because you know that's obviously a much different experience that that Chris got to have, and probably more so, which I didn't consider until we started talking about the last couple of years. We have a completely different type of drinker in front of us now than we did three years ago, right? Where yeah people's back bars are immensely bigger they have been doing cocktail classes online they've been reading different books like you in my experience you have a much more educated drinker walking into a lot of different bars or at least a lot more quote-unquote home bartenders who had to make their own drinks for a year and a half there before they could go back out have you noticed um like a significant difference in the types of drinkers that are coming in or like education level or just trying to tell you what to do when it comes to making drinks?
0: We started encountering it, uh, fairly early on, um, that people had spent, you know, a year, a year and a half, uh, at home with, you know, uh, tipsy bartenders, uh, adventures with alchemy, um, how to drink uh, these like YouTube channels, which some of them are admittedly pretty fucking cool. Um, And like people know how to make what they want to drink and they weren't going out to learn anything. They were going out because they just had not seen other people in so long. And so I kind of, I didn't really get much of the, Oh, I, I know what you're doing and let's talk about what you're doing. It was more like a Holy shit. Humanity is still here. <laughs> and people people were just so grateful to, like, just see other faces. And it was this really, like, it was short-lived, but it was this blissful time where, like, everybody was super nice. Uh, everybody tipped so great. Everybody was just so excited to, like, re-encounter society. Um, and for all of the people who, like, you know, they built up their back bars, you start to get that a little over time. You start to get questions. People will, like, start to analyze, like, your selection. And you get, like... You know, the customer is always right in matters of taste. Um, but people be like, oh, you, you got the good stuff. You, you got Buffalo Trace. And you're like, sure. Yeah. <laughs> if that's what you picked up over the pandemic, I would love to pour you a glass if that's what you want to pay for. And it's an exercise in just meeting people in the middle. Like they don't need to know that you don't think that they know everything that they think they know. It's just they chose to come hang out with you and give you some money. Fucking let them.
2: Right. So, um like like I had mentioned earlier, we we kind of hit it off immediately because we are both really into the weirdest shit you can consume. Like that is like this driving force between like hey, have you ever had this? Have you ever had that? I mean, I had never talked about mead that much in my life until we talked to each other about it. And that's just kind of thing. So, tonight for what I'm drinking, I have the lampanog distilled coconut from the Philippines. Oh, you're is, supposed to
0: let me try that. And you <laughs> are, and you
2: will. Don't worry. I'm going to bring you some. <laughs> it is one of the weirdest things that I freaking have. It's nuts, right? But one of the things that that I appreciate about you is that like, you really took time to go through the portfolio. You're like, bring me this, bring me this. I need to try that. And then what you're doing now, or what the plan is, is you want to actually construct a book dedicated to obscure spirits. And, you know, I want you to talk a little bit about this endeavor that you're about to go on and kind of like the motivation behind it and and maybe just why esoteric spirits, you know, mean so much to you and like, you know, why you like to champion them.
0: Um, yeah, for sure. Um, I will say that I don't think that, um, obscure applies to everybody at least i i I hope it doesn't because um you know for everybody this is someone's most popular fucking thing like Mm -hmm. we say obscure but in you know uh the czech republic fucking becky's their shit they love it like it's it's not it's not it's no longer bartender's jaeger it's this is what we make and we are proud as hell of it yeah, that's um, and Becherovka
1: I, I, for people who don't know.
0: Yeah, so Be- Bekorovka, um which you know, it's it's a thick, viscous, uh, anise-forward, very comparable to Jager style um, liqueur. So the book is uh, booze without borders, and uh, you know, elevator pitches throwing darts at a map of the world. And talking about what it is that unites people and cultures and brings the 21 year old and the grandmother together at the holidays. What do uh, friends who haven't seen each other in a while drink at the bar? Uh, what's what's the family reunion? What's the wedding? What's the funeral? Like, what is it that people drink when they go to drink? Um, how is it made? Where does it come from? Does it have a story behind it? Why is it so culturally relevant? Um, can you even get it in America at without having like a network of reps who deal in esoteric spirits like if you're not me if you're just like jack living in wisconsin can you get it and if you can here's an original cocktail that you can now make at home using readily available ingredients now that you've finished reading about this dope spirit that you've never encountered mm-hmm. um in terms of why it like fascinates me so much i just think that we live in such a like a trend bubble we move from only caring about one thing to one thing to one thing and then you get these like subcultures of people who commit all of their attention to one thing and then you get these these battles between them like no bourbon's better no rye's better it's like you guys are all having the same conversation about the same seven things and it's all just from a north american lens of only we drink the shit that's cool and there's just so much stuff like, no, like go drink some fucking like Kenyazo off like the Amazon or fucking, uh, you know, pick up some awamori. Like next time your naval cousin comes back from being stationed in Okinawa, like there's just so much stuff that we haven't tried and so many people are just like they're not interested in trying it because the idea doesn't even occur to them because nobody's been like, yo, there's more.
2: I think that's great. I'm so excited for you to, to kind of explore this. And I know that I'm definitely going to help out wherever I can. I mean, I love the fact that you just picked up or, you, you know, brought up Awamori. Awamori is one of the coolest distillates out there. And not enough people talk about it you know it's it's similar to sochu but like you said it's coming from Okinawa it has to use the black Koji in order for it to ferment because okinawa is a tropical environment and a lot of the um, a lot of that that method doesn't work because it's too warm but black Koji does work in that environment and it gives it a much different, you know, flavor profile, and then of course they, then they also rested in clay too, which I think is you know, obviously a big, big uh, factor for it, which, which I just love. And and I know that you're, you're still in the early stages of, of this project and you, you know, you've, you've done a couple different things, but um, I'm really excited for you. I think it's going to be freaking awesome and I do think that you're the perfect person to kind of tackle it because there's things that you bring up to me and I'm like I have no idea what you're talking about and <laughs> I don't get stumped very often and you've done it to me like two or three times which I think is amazing because you really do like I don't I mean again I don't know how I mean so let me ask you that then for some of this stuff I mean how are you even coming across it it is it is it like you you jump on your laptop you're like okay today I'm focusing on Cambodia what can I find out? Or like, how does this, how does this happen? What's your process?
0: Um, my process is called ADHD and <laughs> it it it's always a domino effect. Like I'll be thinking, you know, about Danny DeVito in Matilda and then I'll be like, what else has Danny <laughs> DeVito been in? And then I'll be like, Oh, he filmed where for that movie. Oh, what, what's the capital of that? Oh, what's the best bar there? Oh, what do they drink there? And then, you know, suddenly it's four in the morning and I was supposed to go to bed four hours ago, but I just fell down a rabbit hole of like opening new browser links in bed. And now I spent an hour and a half reading about like Bolivian brandy.
2: And I, and it started because I was just
0: thinking about Matilda. You're like, so it's like it's, you're like it's <laughs> mental illness. Mental illness leads me yeah, here just, all the it's, time. <laughs> it's just being, uh, you know, neurodivergent.
2: <laughs> oh, man. I think the last time that I did that when it was like really bad, was with Reunion Rum. Are are you familiar with Reunion at all, Kyle? Yeah, yeah. So you know, it's a small island off the coast of another island, which is Madagascar. Which a lot of people have heard of Madagascar, but they don't know about Reunion. And there's a couple of distilleries on this little island that produces this really really cool stuff, but we don't get any of it here in the states. Um, I do have a co- I have one brand that puts it in a blend, and then um, uh, Habitation did a bottling a couple of years ago, but. I mean, I totally did the same thing. It was just kind of like, it's like, okay, well, now I got to know everything about this small, tiny island that has direct flights from Paris, you know, that you can go visit because it's a French colony. It's just, it's ridiculous. And there's just so much out there. So when we, when I find someone who is into the same stuff, it's like, hey, let's go. Let's hold hands. We're going to go through this together and we're going to find all the craziest stuff just in the world. It's amazing. Yeah. All right, I think it's time for our opinions on facts that we've heard from reputable sources. Okay, so in our first story, we're gonna talk about the Federal Consumer Attorney of Mexico, also known as Profeco, carrying out a lab study on different various mezcals throughout the country that are sold in Mexico. And the results are a little terrifying. The reason being is because, you know, there are rules and um, requirements that go into producing Mezcal, be able to call things Mezcal. That is then regulated by the CRM and that is a non-government agency, but still a governing body nonetheless. And they had some pretty, like I said, interesting, interesting reveals. So one of them was the Gusano Rojo, which has like the Gusano um, cartoon on the bottle. Turns out not Mezcal. It's close to Mezcal. But not Mezcal, which I was just kind of like, well, if you've ever had it, that's actually not that hard to believe. Um, where it got a little bit weirder was then you got into things being labeled uh incorrectly when it came to their proof. So the mezcals that were labeled in that was uh Amaras, Leanda, 1903, and Alcaran. The 1903, I'm not familiar with the Alcaran, not surprised. The Amaras. Not surprised, a little surprised, but not really surprise. that surprised. The land
1: of I was a little surprised with Tomadas.
2: Well, I think if you have some of their other stuff, it's kind of like, yeah, all right. I I I get it. And then um now they were it there is a range that you're allowed to be off with your ABV because again, we are talking about products that are typically produced in somebody's like backyard. So they do give you some, some leeway, but it was still to the point where it was just too much. They were outside the allowable force. And there was three more Mezcals that were even worse that got highlighted. And there are different fines that are going out. So I think this spells disaster for a lot of brands out there, because I think when you start to shine a light on an industry, that has you know kind of a lot of stuff that happens in the shadows to a certain degree but then also there's a lot of hoops that you have to jump through that aren't necessarily fair and there's some there's some like corner cutting that happens it's not necessarily in a nefarious way but you know if you're a family that's in the desert of durango in the middle of nowhere it's like you might not have all the same standards but you still produce this really incredible product that can come out and you know put money into your pocket and help your family you know Uh, build wealth. And I'm worried about now that we've started this, how much more lab testing is going to happen across the board? Because I think, you know, this story broke this week and you had some of your biggest agave personalities really taking it and running with it and be like, test everything. Now this stuff again, was just for products that were sold in Mexico, but a lot of these products also come to the States. So Kyle, when you read it, what were some of your impressions? I mean, you know, is there does it make you second guess any of the Mezcal products that you've worked with in the past, or do you have more questions for your distributors now? Like what was your impression so far?
0: Well, I mean, on the surface, uh, Profeco is like they're established to protect the consumer. Um, so, you know, whether it's, uh, making sure that things are labeled correctly in, in stores and convenience stores, making sure that the products you're getting it, it protects, you know, uh, the tourist market in Mexico as well as the Mexican consumer. So it seems like Profeco would be a governing body that's out for the consumer. Um, and on the one hand, I'm like, yeah, that's great. Like you should know what it is you're drinking. But then it begs to question: Are the lights that are being shined The hoops that you have to go through are they different based on whether you are like an artisanal mezcal or if you're like a an industrial mezcal, which you have the equipment and the facilities to meet these standards significantly better. So is like an ancestral mezcal being held to the same standards for a tax regulation code that you would see from an industrial mezcal, and Mm -hmm. if it is, then it's 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 absolutely unfair because it's giving you know the big backed industrial complex. A significantly easier door to walk through than the person you mentioned who's in their backyard making this dope product, but just doesn't have the equipment to make it hit that exactitude.
2: Yeah, and I think that's you know something to highlight here. Like the Gusano Rojo is an example of an industrial produced uh, mezcal, and then something like the Amaras is uh, falls into the ancestral category, which. Or the artisanal category, so it's artisanal. not the most, ex- yeah. yeah, not the most extreme of the requirements. But the other thing I wanted to point out is that you know these are brands that are very much so in bed with the CRM and tend to be touted by the CRM as exemplary for what they're standing for and things like that. So the CRM has also come under a lot of uh, heat over the past year for bribery and uh just basically horrible horrible practices um and this doesn't help right that there are certified mezcals underneath them being like i'm why did you certify this this is clear this is not mezcal um chris what were some of your impressions of this story
1: well you you just hit on it that was the biggest takeaway for me i mean i you know shocked and appalled whatever um but really the, the biggest takeaway for me was like, look, here's another, here's another point against the CRM, right? Like we we've talked about this a lot over the last year um, and we keep coming back to them and we, we go back and forth on the pros and cons of, of what it is that they achieve. Um, but here it is point blank, right in your face. It's very obvious. These guys certified products that don't meet the standards of what it is that they're proposing that they, they hit. Right. And, and, and that's, that's a really big problem for exactly the reasons that Kyle was saying, which is like, if you don't have the money uh, or the lawyers or right, if you're the low hanging fruit on this, on this totem pole or on this tree, whatever analogy you want to use, uh, you know, it's easy to pick you off, even though you're doing everything you can to play by the rules and try to, like, meet these standards and do everything that you can to comply um, just just for access to the market. Right. Whereas you have companies like Amaras and Gusana Rojo, which you know, I'm less concerned about Gusana Rojo, because if you're drinking that shit, you're going to drink it anyway. It doesn't matter what it's called. <laughs> right, like it's it's fucking horrific. I've got a <laughs> bottle here. If you want a taste of it, I'm happy. Pour you some. Uh, um, but it's, I mean, it's trash. Uh, I think somebody probably will drink it just out of spite or sentimentality or a fair mix of the both. I, I don't know why anybody would drink it. But
2: I used uh, to, I used to pour it in tastings to show people how bad mezcal could be. And then I would go into the better ones, right? So that's that's where it, that's where it lived for me for like multiple years. Well, now I you like, can't
1: hey,
2: even just... do that. Well, now, now I'm like I'm like it's not even mezcal, guys. I don't know what I was giving you. You know, I guess I go
1: do Montel Bond or something. Well, so if you so. taste this, you're not drinking mezcal. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, but but with everything else, you know, there's a there's, I think, of. A, a, really reasonable amount of skepticism that's out there that I think is very healthy. I think though that we need to be weary of eliminating all stop gaps for consumer safety and regulation, right? Like we need, we just need efficacy. We need something to work, not to remove it. Now, the question is if you can't trust whether or not it's working, what's the point? And then I don't have an answer for that, but, this is the world we live in.
2: Yeah, I think that's that's a that's a great point. I mean, and I definitely you know, my whole thing when it comes to agave is just let's lab test it to make sure it's not gonna kill you. Outside of that, I don't care what you call it. But that's yeah, I also mean, look, lab common...
1: test it, make sure it's not gonna kill you, and it's actually I mean you could lab test everything and just say, Yeah, is, does this exist inside the bottle right? Like, is this actually agave and not like a mixto, right? Or if it is a mixto, like what is the mixto? And that's fine, right? But just yeah. don't, don't say it's one thing and then deliver another.
2: Yeah. So Kyle, I want to ask you in your experience, do you feel like you know, especially when it comes to Mezcal and destilado de Agaves and, you know, Bacanora, Ricea, so the list goes on and on and on of all the new, th- you know, the new to us as a consumer market in the US that have been coming out over the past 10 years. Do you feel like the, like your consumers are becoming more educated on it or like they are like, like, yeah, well this, you know, don't give me that one because that's not certified by the CRM. Give me that one because it is. I mean, has, has that ever happened in your time behind the bar?
0: No, not at all. Um, In my experience with like the public uh, layman consumer, it's still a matter of give me give me an agave. If I want it to be smoke, give me mezcal. And it, it's 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 just that easy. Like it will look at our program and we'll be like, oh, we've got a little too much espadine. No one's ever going to call us on that. The only time we've been called on like our mezcal program is another bars like another mezcal bar their program director came in and was like oh you guys are only really poor in espadine i was like yeah that's all people want to spend money on man like
2: right right yeah but it tends to be the more affordable one and you know unless you kind of have people in the right mindset that's a hard that's a hard genre to get people to grow at least quickly
0: Right. Yeah, absolutely. So, if, you know, whether it's just like a bar pouring El Silencio, like it, it doesn't matter. Like the consumer is like, I want Mezcal because it's smoky and fun. <laughs> they don't care.
2: Um, You know, do. I mean, I, I don't I don't think that you guys are that you guys are carrying, you know, Gusano, either one of you, but you know, if you had a product that came in and I'll put this to Kyle first, and you, you know, you find out there's some lab testing done. It's kind of like, Oh no, that's not really what it is. I mean, is that something that immediately comes off of your shelf or like, where, where's your mindset? If, if this was, if there was to be something like that, that happened in your, you know, that happened on your back bar or, you know, maybe you're pouring something.
0: Um, I'm very quick to pull stuff off my shelf. Um, but if I've already spent money on it, then I'm going to blend it or mix it or fucking throw it in a blender and call it a pagan colada like i'm gonna make you know my money back uh, but i'm gonna pull it from the back bar like i i pulled all my heaven hill stuff off the back bar a couple months ago i mm-hmm. didn't you know i didn't dump it i I blended it all into some other shit and made my money back but i was like i'm not buying anymore but i'm also not gonna let you know i'm selling it but i'm also not gonna waste my money
2: yeah and that um, was during the
0: heaven hill strikes i assume yeah yeah
2: yeah okay Chris, what about you? Has there been anything that you've had to, you know, you was on your shelf and was like, oh God, we need to do something about this. And maybe, maybe I don't limit it to like a testing thing, but just in general, like Kyle's situation that he just brought up.
1: No, I think that's a, that's a really solid one. You know, I, I think it's also different in retail than it is here. And you know, we're going to touch on that in our next story, but, um, you know, quite specifically here, you know, I was contemplating bringing one of these, one of these brands in. It's a brand that I was very familiar with. I, I'd had it for a long time. It's been on the back burner for me, like, and I just kept forgetting to order it. Uh, and now I won't. Probably ever. Yeah. I will probably never sell it because I don't trust it. Right. You know? and, and, and we operate within our little bubble here. You know, like, the handful of people who listen to us. Actually, there's quite a few guys now, so thank you. You guys are lovely. You're amazing. I'm not here to denigrate <laughs> you. You're incredible. I love you. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. You're the best. Uh, but the, uh, the masses that listen to us and, uh, and, you know, us that just talk to each other and stare at each other through a computer screen uh, these days, you know, like not very many other people know this stuff, right? I think mm-hmm. Agave is in this really great spot right now. Um, and it's really, really kind of oddly perfect that a lot of things are getting shooken up because the general consumer for agave, um, let's take California out of the equation. I mean, it doesn't need to be taken out of the equation, but let's take California out of the equation. Just sort of, we're a little bit of an exception. Uh, most people just don't know anything about it still, you know, and, and, and people are eager. They, they hear about it. They see it on TV. They're reading about it. They see advertisements for it. It's popping up you know, in their feed as they're scrolling through Twitter as they're scrolling through Instagram, all these things, but they don't, they don't have the knowledge base. Right. And so, yeah, they know kind of what mezcal is. They definitely know what tequila is. At least they think they do, you know, but then if you throw a, you know, an agave distillate in front of them, they'll be like, Oh, what is this? And which is a great time to be educated. Right. And there's going to be a lot of miseducation out there, Uh, Because a lot of bartenders don't know what the fuck they're talking about. And it's not their fault necessarily. It's just, they're just going to regurgitate the things that they've heard. But Mezcal as a genre right now is in this kind of like really perfect spot to be shooken up because because a lot of people just don't know otherwise, you know? So regardless of the CRT or the CRM, you know, regardless of Profeco, bartenders and service industry professionals can get this stuff into people's hands, uh, with very little, uh, you know, like very, very little, uh, gates in the way for people to like shut it down, you know, like they're not going to care that the CRT or, you know, miss, uh, certified something or the CRM. Right. Um, right. Uh, but we know, and so it's our responsibility to be like, okay, well, we don't trust this. This is gone. And who's gonna miss it? Not really too many other people. Right.
2: Right. Well, I think that's a good that's a good place, to, like as you mentioned, our next story is is actually a little bit more poignant to kind of like removing it from the shelf. So why don't we move on to our next topic and then that way we can really get into that.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> okay, so this one I'm gonna to try to keep myself in check because I feel myself getting angrier and angrier about it as time goes on. And by the time this, this podcast drops, you know we'll, we'll see kind of where we're at in the world. But as of right now, companies like Total Wine, Kroger, and other big box stores have started to pull what they perceive as Russian products off their shelves. Um, Bars are pouring it down the drain, using it as, you know, cleaning products now. And um, recently the top 50 bars group came out and said they will not recognize any bars from Russia this year in the top 50 bars in the world. Um, For me, the positive thing has been people have really pushed back against this because they realize there are people being punished for the actions of a tyrant, and it's not fair to the people of Russia to do a lot of these things and act out these different ways. Now, I certainly understand the value in a symbolic gesture, like perhaps changing the name of a Moscow mule to a Kiev mule or or, or a Zelensky mule, whatever you're into. Um, but we have seen this growing tension and aggression. You know. Grow over the past over the past week as the invasion of Russia into Ukraine has has intensified, and you're seeing more and more examples of people being anti Russia, Um, and unfortunately, it's being taken on our brands that a lot of them they might look Russian, but they're not Russian at all, actually. And so there's been a lot of you know kind of false flags there, but also I see this as something that is going to escalate to really really horrible places, and those places are you know, Russian markets and restaurants throughout the world being vandalized, destroyed, and even to a point where, you know, do concentration camps come back into play for certain places where all Russians are just rounded up and done that? Cause I know I've had friends who don't feel safe right now and have received threats just because of their associates. Like they might be from Russia or they have some, you know, family there. Like, um, uh, so it's it's something that has grown increasingly, increasingly more frustrating for myself. And so Kyle, like, you know, you said like, hey, I'm quick to pull things off the shelf, you know, but there's a lot of nuance here. And I'm just kinda of curious, you know, what has what is what has the situation been like for you and your approach towards looking at what might be a Russian product or perceived as a Russian product in it at bottle right now? Well look.
0: I'm quick to I'm quick to pull things off the shelf um, if they run counter to what I believe in, but I'm also slow to analyze what it is that I believe in. I'm I'm not one for reactionary, like, quick impulse jerk actions. Um, that being said, most bars, like, most volume bars aren't really carrying much actual Russian vodka to begin with. And if they have brands that sound Russian, they should probably do a little bit more research on their own product. Um, Like at Bottle, we don't have a single Russian vodka. We have Zabroka, which sounds Russian if, you know, you think that that's just what russian sounds like but it's not a russian vodka uh we don't carry stoli but stoli is not a russian vodka stoli can be argued as, as an american vodka it can be argued as a uk vodka it could be argued as a switzerland vodka depending on where you think uh yuri scheffler calls home um but the guy for instance is absolutely not russian he's a russian exile he was exiled in the year 2000 for his strong anti-Putin stances. And how hard is it to be exiled? Like, just in general, like, you know how dope it is to be like, oh, yeah, I'm an exile because of my strong stances <laughs> against a dictator. Uh, fucking I want to pick up Stoli now and sell way more of it. Like they just file or they just announced that they're dropping the Chnaya off their name. And they're like, no, we're just gonna be Stoli now. Like, we're not Russian and we don't want you to think we are. But also, uh, I'm I'm an exile. Uh, I hate Putin, and for the last 22 years, I haven't been able to step foot in Russia. So, like, that's so sick. I'm not pouring that down. I would buy more of it. Just yeah. you, people got to be careful about like this reactionary stuff. It, like, it harkens back to you know the performative activism of 9/11 post world, where we started calling French fries freedom fries because French didn't come help us kick ass in the Middle East like yeah. what the fuck it's got nothing to do yeah with you it. want to talk I, about
1: cancel culture man and people like freaking out like let's talk about freedom fries man like what a ridiculous sort of yeah the, like, the I, bullshit that was I, I
2: think the the performative performative is a really great way to put it i mean i look at it as like passive activism like look at us doing our thing and you know and i saw i saw some pushback happening online and I remember one bar in particular was kind of like, was like like, how are we getting, you know, trolled right now? Like, we're just we're trying to be a symbol of strength for, you know, for the people of Ukraine. It's like, who the fuck in Ukraine is looking at your Instagram profile and watching you mop your floors with Stoli? Are you joking yeah. right now? Like, you know, like who do you think you are? And and again, like, I do think that these are the first steps that you take to a much more serious end, you know? And it might sound extreme for me to say something like, you know, this could turn into a Japanese internment situation, but I don't think it is at all. History repeats itself and there are signs out there. And as you continue to promote this type of, you know, anger towards people that have nothing to do with the aggression of Putin that he has towards Ukraine, I mean, shit, there's even, they're talking to soldiers now of Russia who don't know what the hell is going on and they're in a foreign country. Like they have no clue. Like, I mean, how bizarre is this? So now we're going to punish, um, you know, like I said, different brands and bars, the top 50 bars thing has just been absolutely decimated, which I love my industry for right now, because again, they came out and made the statement that they are not going to include any Russian, Russian bars on their top 50 list, even though there are some really amazing bars from what I've read, I don't know, in places like Moscow. So with that, you know, when that news came out, Chris, what was your reaction to top 50? And, you know, is that something that we really need in our society?
1: No, I I short answer is no. I think that's completely ridiculous, right? Like it, there's, there's no reason that creative people who are artists who are uh, part of the community in a global sense uh, and who are actively trying to like bar, I don't care who you are, but bars specifically cocktail bars are, are filled with a community of employees who are actively trying to learn and engage with um, a global community and learn and be able to showcase their community for what it is and then also stand up and and honor other people and other spirits and learn, right? Um, They're exactly the wrong people that you want to be punishing. You know, they're not people who pick up guns and go, you know, there's there's this really odd sense um, of balance that I, I kind of wrestle with. And I, I don't necessarily have have a good answer for it, um, but I'll put it out there um, just as uh, something to think about, you know. Uh, What we see with asymmetric war uh, uh, that happens quite often is that the the larger power is is prone to inducing pain and fear and terror, uh, which is entirely illegal if they could be answered to, uh, if somebody cared to make them answer for it um, amongst the people. Uh, you know, and we see that happening in Ukraine, which is why this is so fucking horrific. Right. Um, and we see, you know, the Russian army bombing civilian, um, you know, bread factories for fuck's sake, you know, um, it, you know, bottling plants, so on and so forth. Um, really just trying to decimate the, the Ukrainian backbone. You know, the, their, their morale, that's like keeping, keeping them going. So that way they just give up, you know, they're like, okay, this is all too terrible. We can't do this. And that's fucking awful. I don't know in my mind though, like not that this, this is such a hypothetical cause I'm not an expert on this and I'm so far removed. I'm just a fucking white boy in, in Sacramento, California, right? Um, but is it is it fair that the war should be so asymmetric in that way that the, the Russian people don't feel some of it and give give that back to Putin on some level? And I, you know, I don't. So it it's even so it's unpopular for him to continue the war, which it already is. So I don't you know, I don't have a good answer for that. War is stupid. Don't fucking do it. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, and, you know, and we, we, we t- as we go through, as, let's bring this back to to this story, so it's a little bit more on topic. I was about to say, I was
2: like, you're getting, I think, I think you're getting into the weeds here, and there's a lot you want to say, but so you don't know what you're <laughs>
1: saying. Um, let's go, let's go back to here. I, cause, so, cause so I'm let's kind, talk, of, talk, kind
2: of following it, but yeah, talk, let's bring it back.
1: Talk about Kroger here and Publix and a lot of a lot of large chains kicking kicking Russian quote-unquote hard, hard quotes off the um, off the shelves. Uh, what I find really funny is that they really are doing this to say, like, we care about human rights and this is terrible and uh, uh, go democracy and, and all. Um, but fucking Kroger was just getting, getting slammed as being the second largest uh, grocer in all of the U.S., And they're not even paying their employees a livable wage. So like them pulling Russian vodka off their fucking shelves, if they, if it even was Russian vodka means fuck all like they're this is clearly just symbolic. It's bullshit. They don't actually care about people and humans. Uh, They're just doing it so they don't look bad or so they attempt to look good. I I don't really know the answer here. Um, I think, I think this is all just ridiculous and getting out of hand.
0: But it's I worse. Think, uh, I think it merits mention. Um, I was reading an, an article from the LA Times uh, earlier today. the The statistic of actual Russian vodka in the American market, as opposed to all other vodkas that we actually genuinely consume, we're only importing of our entire vodka import base one point seven percent. Of all of the vodka we receive in America from outside of our country, outside of Texas, is fucking Russian vodka. Like, most of it's coming from Poland and France and fucking uh, Finland. Lavia. Yeah, like 1.7 of all imported vodka is Russian. What an absolutely performative action
2: Yeah, <laughs> to so target
0: I th- less than 2%. <laughs>
2: Yeah, so I think that you know the overall thing that we want to make sure we really emphasize is if you're going to boycott Russian products, you know, don't be an asshole about it because you it I, does I, it doesn't you're you're not you're not you're not hurting Putin the way that you think you are. You're hurting people who are already in a position where they're extremely hurting. If you really want to do something and contribute, there's all kinds of organizations that are organizing money, organizing different items that people in Ukraine need. Go and do that. If you want to get really symbolic, I sell Ukrainian beer. It's called Obolone. It's good stuff. I can get it out to you. You can, you can drink to their people as much as you want. I got you. It's not going to make a fucking difference, but we can at least pretend like you are. But this idea that boycotting any of these Russian products is completely ridiculous. And I think you need to reach out to these places like Total Wine, like Kroger, and just be like, hey – Fuck boy, knock the shit off! You're <laughs> you're leading. You're, what you're what you're stoking the fires of is pure hatred that only goes in a negative way. This doesn't result in something positive. This only becomes more negative, and I'm seeing that with friends who are of who are of Russian descent or just to to Kyle's point earlier, have Russian sounding names. I mean, I've been asked about it. My bosses are from Moldova. Okay, Moldova is the state right next to or the country right next to uh, Ukraine. It's next. It would be theoretically next on the list. Right. And, and you know, that's something we have to deal with. We have a guy in our warehouse who's from Belarus and he's receiving threats right now. It's like that dude escaped the tyranny of Belarus to come to the United States. And now he's getting shit because they're kind of fucking shitty still. Like, what are we doing? So, you know, I just reaching out to our massive amount of listeners, <laughs> write your Senator, write your state governor, tell these dick noses to knock the shit off and let's create a more happy, peaceful world. So, you know,
1: I, I on, on this note, I, I am, uh, I would say particularly sensitive because, uh, my wife, Jen, you all know is, uh, uh part Chinese and there was a, a lot of fear, um, for us, uh, given the last two years and a lot of the, the Asian hate that was going around. Um, and here in California, we weren't, we weren't immune to it. It was definitely, it was definitely here. and I heard people shout shit out their car windows and yell at, yell at people It is all ridiculousness, right? And there's no reason that needs to happen to anybody else. Um, I will make an exception though, to this. Uh, there is a vodka out there called Neft. Uh, N E F T. Uh, it shows up in, it is bottled in a, uh, in a, um, oil can is a a container that's supposed to look like an oil can. Uh, and it's, they are very proud in telling everybody that it is a vodka created by a Russian oligarch who made his money through Russian oil. Uh, so that one, that one, you can, you can boycott that one. You'll be fine. You'll be doing it right. If you do that one.
2: You know what's funny if, about that is that it's actually crafted in Austria. And it says it right yeah. on its front page. If Seriously? you go to
0: if you go to the, <laughs> the Nept website, they uh and I did this today. Um It's amazing. They have scrubbed all <laughs> mentions of Russia from their website.
2: Wow. No way. Okay, so that yeah. changed then, is what you're saying. Okay, because right because if you look it's, at it right now, there's this very attractive woman pouring this horrible looking bottle into a glass, and it says, "I mean, this is incredible,
1: in Austria." L- literally it's the like, sales oh, the okay. saleswoman um, so moving away. Wh- you're moving away. The from sales it. rep when she brought it to me literally told me the story.
0: Oh, same. I passed yeah. on it. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I, yeah, I, that that was part of the pitch.
1: It was part of the pitch.
0: I'm and like, I, well, I, this is ill timed. <laughs> I didn't. I did not pick it up. <laughs>
2: yeah. That's so interesting. So one of the things that is, is very strange, you know, so anytime that you Google something, it brings up obviously like similar searches and stuff like that. And so when I Googled that, it actually brought up a vodka that I sell, um, which is the M82 gold vodka. And it's the most ridiculous looking vodka bottle. It's It looks like a bolt, like a bolt that you would screw into something else. And it's just gold and it's super cheap stuff, but it popped up next to ne- it. was like, it was like Neft and then gold vodka. So I wonder if they are produced by the same people, but I can't it. Bear- find
0: it bears mentioning because um, this was part of her sales pitch. Uh, I don't know if she told you this as well, Chris, but uh, Neft is actually the Russian word for petroleum.
1: Yeah, she did tell me that. Yep. What
0: yeah. a
2: horrible sales pitch. Oh
1: yeah. my God. I just, she was. Didn't know who she was talking to. I think she thought it was going to be like really cool or something. Maybe she like she drank the Kool Aid on this whole thing. I don't
2: know. So it's in, so then if you go to Total Wine's website right now, you can look up Neft and it has it as a Austria crafted in the Ration Ration Alps of Austria for an oxygen rich spring water.
1: Um, I wonder. I mean, both things can be true, right? Like it could be owned by a Russian oligarch.
2: Oh totally. He <laughs> yeah, made, made his absolutely, money absolutely. and it can be, be
1: being produced in Austria. You know? Yeah.
2: yeah. No, you're you're absolutely right. I'm I kinda wanna go to Total Wine tomorrow and be like if they backed it. It's still on their Instagram that they pulled all the Russian product down. Um but I will say like, you know, we also sell Baltica beer. And Baltica is actually owned by Heineken, but it is still produced in St. Petersburg. And we were really light on our baltica orders from bevmo this week now bevmo hasn't come out and said anything which i think if you are going to do this that's the way to do it right just you know move some of the stuff to the back kind of not really talk about it because you're not really trying to stoke the flames but like you know grandstanding to be like look what we did look what we stood up. i mean and i think that's really why um you know the top 50 bars is getting such a hard time right now is because like they released like this official statement as if it was okay to do this to a bunch of bartenders in in russia who were like who was like it's like what do you think they're calling the shots you know they're kind of like yep yeah. we were sitting we were sitting around the, the bar drinking neft vodka and we decided we're invading ukraine here we go so um Oh, yeah, again, my, my final message is don't be an asshole. Just put blame where, where it lies and don't virtue signal. It's gross.
1: I think that there's a, uh, one of my favorite bars in the world uh, is known as Two Schmucks. And mm-hmm. uh, in the entrance way, the entry way to their bar, they have a plaque that simply says, don't be a dick. There you go. I think that's excellent. There you go. There it is. Yeah.
2: You know who's dope? Them over there. Okay, guys. It's time for my favorite part of the show, the dope follows, and we're gonna tell you who you need to be checking out. It could be another it can be Instagram accounts, Facebook groups, other podcasts, books, movies, whatever the case may be. Kyle, you're gonna kick it off for us. Who's your dope follow? Um, I actually have uh two, if that's okay. Yes. That's very um, okay, because I'm actually very excited about your Don't Follows. Uh,
0: one is one is local for everybody listening uh, here in SAC. Um, and they're, they're actually neighbors uh, to you, Chris. Um, there's a relatively new, like they're not even able to be open seven days a week, uh, cafe on 11th um and they are a Lord of the Rings themed cafe that have opened up What? Here Man. in Midtown. You um, shut your mouth right now. They are called There and Back Again Cafe. Um oh. and they are purporting as a Lord of the Rings themed cafe and board game meetup spot. I um, True, to leave um, leave you want to know where it right is.
1: Now. You know where it yes. is. Yes. No, it's where is the, it? It's in the old comic book um
2: in a, uh, was it Oblivion? In Oblivion, yeah.
1: It's the same
0: cafe spot.
2: Leave me, leave me alone right now, guys. I gotta text my brother. We have
0: no plans. <laughs> so yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's it's Heidi and Ross Rojek. Uh, if I'm yeah, saying their last name right, right, Rojek. Uh, they're the they're the owners. Um, SF Eater just did a write up on them. Sac B just did a write up on them. Um, they're not able to like run full hours right now because they just don't have the staff. So I, mean, I will work hiring. there. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. They got they got like one person in the kitchen who's just like making hand pies. Um, I'm looking at an old menu and they've got like a butternut squash and feta hand pie, a ham brie and fig, uh, a vegan strawberry and blueberry hand pie. Um, but yeah, board games and Lord of the Rings uh, here in town. And as somebody who ran the premier nerd bar, um, it would it would be unkind of me to not support other nerdy small businesses. Um, I, I also, Heidi, think the city I, needs more of them
1: Heidi and Ross are just they're amazing they're they're just lovely human beings uh um, I I get to see them uh, relatively often I buy all my books from their bookstore uh, as often as I can
2: uh, are they the are they the do they own that bookstore that's on K Street as on, well
0: on k capital books yeah
2: yes yeah that's a dope bookstore that yeah. that's a, yeah okay cool cool and good then, people. Um,
0: my my other follow is uh for everybody uh, listening, whether you're in Zach or not, um, it is actually for um, a board game called Distilled. Uh, their Instagram is distilled game, uh, D-I-S-T-I-L-L-E-D, L L E D. How is di- distilled is normally spelled, distilled game. And I actually backed them on Kickstarter, unfortunately the campaign has closed, however, uh, the product is going retail. Um, it's set for a Q4 release this year. And it's a board game where you inherit a distillery from your grandfather. uh, And you get to pick uh, one of six starter distilleries. You can be somebody from Scotland who inherits a scotch distillery. You can be somebody from the Caribbean who gets a rum distillery. The game takes place over several phases. You've got your uh, resource phase where you're trying to fulfill your recipes. And if you fuck up, you end up making moonshine. But if you successfully (laughs) execute your recipe, you then go into the aging phase where you can bank on making an older spirit that you can sell for more money or you can just churn out some quick gins. That's up to you. Uh, And then you go into your market phase. For people like us in the industry who have any spec of like nerddom, like Settlers of Catan or Risk or any kind of board game, like aspect to them, this game is a fucking must buy. I saw this Kickstarter and I backed it like day one. this is amazing. I
1: want I want to reach out to them and see if I can be a certified retailer. You for them.
0: should. You that'd should be, you should ask awesome. about getting a retailer for it. Yeah. Maybe we can they can be on our podcast.
2: It'd be great. Maybe we do that. Be like, hey, come on our podcast. We have cool people.
0: Uh the dude who ran it, um, I had his info. Um he just got back from Scotland where he had been like creating the game for the last two years. So he's back stateside. Um you could absolutely reach out to him, I'll forward you his information. I think I have them Red. on in. So they had a they had a twenty one day fundraising
2: campaign on Kickstarter. Okay. And they raised five hundred and forty nine, five hundred and seventy three thousand dollars.
0: Wow. And they have less than two thousand followers on Instagram following their campaign.
2: <laughs> what the fuck? So this like is more amazing. people need to know about it dude i was so excited for your dope follows and you just delivered and then some i think i might retire dope <laughs> follows now there's no way it gets better it's like lord of the rings coffee and a distilling board game i'm done i have peaked with fucking dope follows i don't even want to do mine now this is incredible
0: well, oh
2: you should let me ones. go
1: first oh
2: no i'm glad we did uh <laughs> all right chris what's your shitty dope follow
1: <laughs> wow <laughs> i feel bad doing mine now because you said it's shitty and i actually no love this what's
2: one. what's your very cool Delphi uh follow?
1: this is uh i suggest everybody follow caroline on cocktails formerly of caroline on crack she retired that uh that handle uh <laughs> a year or two ago <laughs> maybe this year actually um and uh she's now caroline on cocktails uh Caroline it used to come into Red Rabbit. Uh, is how I got to know her. Um, she was a cocktail bar influencer uh, who actually did the work and actually did the damn thing. Um, and uh, she's just absolutely lovely. Uh, and now she's running. Uh, she is the I want to say editor in chief for all of Imbibe's online content. Oh wow. Uh, and uh, that's amazing. It's She's a badass, uh, imbibes, uh, for those of you who don't know, just a, a fantastic uh, periodical uh, magazine here um, for our industry. They do amazing reporting, great stories, uh, beautiful, beautiful photographs, and Caroline is just like a perfect fit for that. Um, she's a badass. So uh, on really any... Any platform you feel like following her uh, Caroline on cocktails, all one word, Caroline, C-A-R-O-L-I-N-E.
2: That's amazing. Okay. that's a good one. I can approve. Um, all right. So to wrap it up with my definitely inferior one, no, just kidding. This is, this is actually somebody that I'm pretty confident I've shared before, but they're, Their stories today were so amazing that I was like, I need to share this with everybody. And that is going to be at cocktail man. And so cocktail man, he's always like breaking down different phrases in the industry and stuff like that. But he did a um, bar industry lies that everybody tells today in his stories. (laughs) And this is this is the best. So one, I'm never drinking again. Two, I really like Seedlip which killed me because that was so funny and I'm sick and tired of people pretending it's good. Um, Three, I don't care about 50 best bars. I do it for the guest 4 I'm, I'm going to take it easy tonight And five. I don't only like them because they give me free booze. I'm actually good friends with that brand ambassador. Um, So, and then the last one was the world's 50 best bars, an unbiased, non-discriminating and non-politically driven organization that understands the bar industry. So I just was like, (laughs) oh my gosh, he just, he's got a huge platform and he just dunked all over world's best 50 bars. And, um, you know what's really funny about about the world's best too is that there's actually a couple of people that did agree with me on a lot of my sentiment and what I shared with them. That they we're actually going to have a couple of them come on the show, and they're going to be guests in the next few weeks, which is uh, which is really great. We're, we're getting a lot of uh, we're getting international again. It's going to be fun. We just got to figure out the timing. But uh, overall, possibly the dopest follows of all time on the Good Bottle Podcast. The bar has been significantly raised. So uh, golf clap for, for Kyle there. Wow. Very beautiful. Great job.
1: My daughter got rid of my script. Go, Drew. Oh, no, I got it. <laughs> <laughs> Professionals. That's where we do. Music for the Good Bottle Podcast is orchestrated by Leon and Chase Moore and produced... Well, up until this point, uh, by by Drew and I, before we go kill these bottles that we've been drinking, we ask that if you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review.
2: You can also follow us on Instagram or Facebook at The Good Bottle Podcast or our personal accounts. Mine is DGarrison6, Chris is Chris Sinflair. Uh, Hey, Kyle, where can they find you? How can they connect with you?
0: Oh, uh, I use a fake name. Uh, I am uh, TW Falls. T W F A L L S uh, on all socials.
2: He hasn't updated his Instagram in a
0: while, but you should still check it out. It's pretty, yeah, it's pretty dope. The, inter- the internet exhausted me for a little while, but maybe someday. <laughs>
2: Uh, so if you want, you can go and visit our uh, Etsy shop and get that cool shirt that Chris is wearing, the 100% celebrity agave free three quarter tee baseball tee uh, or visit anchor.fm slash Podcast so we can go and take that money and buy all the Stoli in the world.
1: If You would like for us to cover a story or if you're working with a brand that wants to be featured, please email us at the at gmail.com.
2: You can also uh, purchase the bottles that we drink on this episode at thegoodbottleshop.com. And until next time,
0: cheers, folios!
2: Hey, Chris. Hi. Did you know that Kyle did the best John Constantine cosplay of all time?
0: No. It's amazing. Oh, have I never sent you the website?